I was just thinking like, I'm just living, breathing this audition. And uh, I think that I kind of filtered out some other auditions. I didn't take three or four at a time, like I know a lot of people do. Um, I was just saying like, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. I'm, I'm just going to be there. And I think that it took that mental shift in just saying there really isn't another way to go. It is November 16th, 2020, and you are listening to episode 21 of the Candid Clarinetist podcast. What's going on, everybody? Sam Rothstein here, acting principal clarinet with the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra and host of the Candid Clarinetist podcast. I hope all of you listeners out there enjoyed getting to know my wife, Britt Sutton, last week on the podcast. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the episode yet, I highly recommend it. Britt is the CEO of a nonprofit arts organization in Indianapolis, and she is a passionate disability advocate. You can find links to this episode, as well as links to all of our content, by visiting our website, candidclarinetistpodcast.com. Remember that we are trying to reach 500 followers on Instagram by the end of the year, so please keep liking, commenting, and sharing our content, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues to do so as well. As always, if you are not subscribed to the podcast, take a quick second and subscribe to us, and maybe leave us a nice rating on whatever your podcast platform of choice is. Joining us today is Sergeant First Class Kevin Walco, bass clarinetist of the U.S. Army Field Band. Kevin was in the final year of his master's degree at Northwestern when I arrived on campus as a uh, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed young freshman. And uh, it was wonderful to watch him work through the year to sort of achieve the position he currently holds in the U.S. Army Field Band as the bass clarinetist. It is fantastic to see you, Kevin, and thank you so much for joining me tonight. Of course. Good to see you too, Sam. Yeah. um, So I want to know, when did you first find out that military bands were a career path for you? Uh, actually it was about the time that I met you, to be honest. Um, it wasn't something that I had ever heard of in my undergrad, uh, mostly because I was a music education major. So I wasn't really looking for those sorts of jobs. Um, but when I finally turned my attention to the jobs board, uh, outside of Steve Cohen's office at Northwestern, um, I started to see the, uh, the military band posting. So it wasn't until... A few months before I actually submitted my application uh, for the U.S. Army Field Band that I was even aware of the gig. So what made you sort of like, so you said you were a music education undergrad. What made you sort of flip that switch and decide to go to grad school for performance? I'm assuming that's what your degree was in, was performance. Yes. Um, So I've always enjoyed teaching. um, And frankly, I didn't think I could make it as a performer. Um, So it, it was less of a fallback and actually just the career path that I wanted to take. Uh, and through my undergrad, I just had a couple performances that I, I really enjoyed. And so um, at the end of my junior year, I decided that my senior year, I was going to spend as much time as I could uh, practicing and audition for three schools I didn't think that I could get into. Uh, and if I ended up at one of them, then I would give the whole performing thing a go. Um, and if I didn't, I would happily go teach. Gotcha. And and when you say teach, you mean like uh, teach public schools or like as a band director? Like what 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 was your sort of uh, what was your eye on at that point? Elementary band, actually. Oh man, so you're a. You're <laughs> a uh, I think Mallory Thompson used to say it's God's work doing the elementary band. So you, <laughs> yeah, right. so you would teach all the beginners, uh, you know, teach them 
what was up and what was down and everything. That must have been a, I mean, that just like thinking about that is really daunting to me. Is that something that like you would still, you know, so say, say you decided to retire from the army, uh, would you still like consider doing that at some point? Um, so I, I think that what's great about elementary band is that you are getting all of the students when they are probably at the, at the peak of how fired up they are about everything, um, musically related. So, you know, they go to some little performance by maybe the music education, uh, department in the school district that they, they attend, or maybe it's just the fifth graders. That's what they did at my school. The fifth graders would put on a little concert. And so the fourth graders would hear them and then decide what instrument to take. Um, and, and after they got their, their shiny new whatever, they were just like so amped up about it. So you could just like ride their enthusiasm for a while teaching. Um, and I think that's what got me really excited about them. You know, oftentimes I would get to my high school student teaching experience and it was um, it was great, don't get me wrong, but the kids weren't always as energizing. They didn't like, they didn't give me the energy to want to, to teach as much. I had to find it more intrinsically. So. Um, I really enjoyed the elementary stuff. Whether I would want to do it after I retire from the Army Field Band or not, I don't know. Um, right now, most of my students are pretty young. Uh, I have a couple feeders that give me mostly elementary and early middle school students. And so that kind of fulfills uh, that that part of, of my teaching inside. Um, whether I would take a, a full another career like that, uh, I'm, I'm not sure I could uh, maybe have the energy for that in yeah. another 10 years or whenever I leave here. Definitely. No, I understand that. But it sounds like you're kind of scratching that itch with uh, with your young private students. And um, that's amazing. I actually didn't know this about you. And I, was t- I can't remember who I was talking to, but uh, one of my uh, contacts recently, they had a beginner that wanted to take lessons. And... Um, they said, you know, are you teaching or whatever? I said, yes. And, you know, they tried to give me a beginner student. And I, and I had this like moment where I was like, I don't know what I would do. Like, <laughs> I don't know how to, it's a totally different thing, right? Cause you're, you're teaching them music. Yes. But it's so, it's, it's at such a fundamental level. And I've been so far removed from that from such a long time that I feel like I'd have to like consult someone like you or, you know, one of the other teachers around the area or that I know from home that do that on a regular basis because I just wouldn't know where to start. I mean, I, I, you know, when I teach now, I, you know, it's mostly higher level students and I, you know, I, you know, there's things that you say that they would understand. Whereas like with that, it's like everything is new, you know, but I think that's part of the excitement for you is like everything is new for them. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have a whole lot of bad, bad habits to overwrite and correct you know, as long as you're militant about it. Sorry for my choice of words there. No, okay. uh, you can, you know, just kind of nip all the problems in the bud or, you know, not all of them, but at least a lot of them and feel like you are starting somebody on the right path rather than um, somebody who maybe didn't have uh, the best instruction or taught themselves more than not. Um, yeah, I feel like it's easier just to start, start with, with an empty slate. Yeah. yeah, very cool. Um, so moving back into your, we got a little tangent there, but that was really fascinating. So I wanted to sort of dig into that. Um, moving back into your uh, career now with the field band, um, can you describe the audition process that you went through? Cause if, if I remember correctly, 
you you know you said right around when I got there you sort of found this job and if I remember right you actually did this audition twice for this position and so can you kind of describe like what that year-long process was and sort of how you ended up where you where you are yeah uh so I, I did take the audition twice um we had a no hire for the first audition uh which isn't terribly uncommon in either the military band or the orchestral world. Um, we were about to get a new commander uh, as I auditioned the first time. And uh, I'm not sure if everybody was totally on the same page or if I'm just making excuses for myself. Um, but uh, <laughs> It's always somebody else's fault. I mean, yeah. Totally. yeah. Um, so I guess I'll tell you about the audition experience first and then tell you how mine went second, I guess. Um, so the, the audition experience for us is uh, we post all over the internet and flyers in at universities and, and wherever. Um, so when you apply for us, you send us a one-page resume and most sections tell you exactly what they want on their audition tape. Uh, some sections leave it up to you. Um, so we listen to all the tapes that we get and we invite uh, as many qualified candidates as we can. Um, to give you an example, uh, one of the tuba players that, that recently won the, the audition for us was going up against 96 other tapes. Um, and I'm pretty sure we invited uh, about 10 or so. Um, when we invite you, uh, we pay for everything. So your your flight and whatnot are, are on us. Um, so in between the time that we send you the music and your plane ticket, you have to go to uh, MEPS, which is a military um, processing center for uh, everything physical, um, because not everybody qualifies to enter the military. So. I am an active duty soldier and I am not just uh, gifted into the band because it, it isn't the infantry. Uh, you still have to make all the regular qualifications that you would to go into the military. So you have to go to the military doctors. They have to sign off on you and say that it's, it's cool for you to join the military before you go play the live rounds. Uh, we don't hear anybody that could blow us away and then isn't qualified to join the military. So um, you go to the MEPS center, uh, and then you fly to Fort Meade. We fly you into Baltimore, and uh, we pick you up and put you up in a hotel, and then you play some live rounds uh, behind a screen for the first couple of rounds. Um, and then finals, we take down the screen, and our command uh, interviews you as well. Um, we travel a lot, and we do... Uh, kind of an extensive interview that goes along with just the playing, because if you're going to be on the road with us for a month, uh, we need to like you too, as a person. Um, and if I'm going to sit next to you, uh, for possibly 20, 25, 30 years, um, we've got to like you. So, um, the finals generally is, you know, two to three, two to four people, and then the interviews, and then we take somebody from there. Uh, if you win the gig, then you do have to enlist, and you do have to go to a 10-week basic training. Um, if you don't, you are not under any obligation to join the military if you don't want to. However, um, we always give you the full uh, education on joining the other military bands, the other army band system, um, if you would like to do that as well. So that, that's kind of like 
our audition process. Uh, if you have any questions about that before my own particular. Uh, well, I was just going to make a comment, which was uh, that actually sounds like a great, uh, you know, place to start for people who are maybe looking to, to maybe take their first couple of professional auditions uh, because, you know, there's a pre-screening tape, which is very inexpensive. I don't know. Is there an application fee or is it just a... Nope. Oh, yeah. So, so completely free. And then, you know, if you, if you're chosen, so if your tape's uh, good enough uh, or deemed, uh, you know, qualified, uh, they, they take care of you and they take you out there. And so, you, you know, it's not like, uh, going to audition for an orchestra and you have to put yourself up and fly yourself out there. And, you know, that those, those costs rack up pretty quickly. So it sounds to me like if you're, if you're looking to audition for a military band, you know, something like a field band, I also know that the West Point band, uh, does the same thing. I, I actually, I was laughing earlier when you're talking about maps cause I, I had, uh, submitted a tape for them and I had to go through the maps process and stuff, which is, man, that's an adventure for sure. It's definitely a different experience for those who have not done it before. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, there's no like physical fitness test. You, there's like some mobility stuff. And I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it. I'm, I'm a, okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, there's like some mobility stuff and then there's a, there's a, an exam, sort of like a standardized test kind of thing. And, so, man, it was it was definitely an interesting experience going through that. But um, but yeah, it sounds like a great um, you know thing for people who are looking to uh, get a get into the professional audition scene because they're going to qualify you, so you know you're going to be amongst you know eight to ten people probably, and then they're going to take care of your trip and everything. So the the cost is very minimal. Yeah, it's uh yeah, and I think it's really, I mean, we've been doing this for a long time, so I I can honestly tell you that. Uh, having sat on all of the clarinet panels and the bassoon panels since I've been here, uh, which is a little over 12 years at this point, um, it is a really good process. It's a fair process. Um, it is truly blind. Uh, I do not know who you are um, until I see your face. And even with the tapes, uh, when I'm listening to tapes, uh, they don't put names or resumes in front of me. So um, the clarinet section is all sitting at home listening to all the mp3s and we basically compile a list of yeses and nos and after we see uh what numbers the yeses are we find out who they are so it's gotcha. a good uh it's a very like equal process that i think is pretty solid and do you have any recommendations for people that are uh maybe looking to submit a tape like is there are, are there things that you know we're of course getting into like audition stuff here but um I know when I submitted a tape for you guys, I got to choose my choose my repertoire. Is, has that changed? You mentioned that some sections do some, but for the clarinets, do you guys get to choose, or do, do the applicants get to choose? Yeah, so the the clarinets nowadays uh, send out the list, and at the bottom of of the application, it says, if you have anything that you feel like would sway us in a positive manner, yeah. add it. So uh, we had some people add. Uh, bass clarinet excerpts because, you know, if, if you can play more of the auxiliaries and you're more marketable. Um, we had some people add some live like jazz performances uh, so that we know you could solo on Benny Goodman's stuff. Um, so that always helps. But I, thought you already had, I thought you had that niche locked down. <laughs> I mean, I, I've got to leave someday, Sam, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, so so now it's just the typical orchestral stuff. Uh, we we ask for a bit of the Mozart exposition, Mendelssohn scherzo, uh, you know, the usual. Yeah, and so when people are making these tapes, um, would you recommend that they uh, is like you know, 
is the quality of the tape like the most important? Is it like, what do you, what do you like? What grasps you usually? So, um, my mentality might not reflect the sections. Um, but personally, the way that I approach a tape is if you have one shot at a live audition and you make a mistake, it's forgivable. We're all human. It happens. Right. But if you submit a tape that has wrong notes on it and I know that you could have just taken another take, why didn't you take another take if you're looking for a job? Right. If you know that somebody else is going to have a note perfect tape, then take the time to make a perfect tape. Right. The, the quality varies a lot. Um, we get people that very clearly are in a nice hall with a nice recording setup. And we get people that are clearly in a, in a practice room and you hear some some flutes screaming in the background. Some or something. Playing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely happens. But to be honest, um, myself personally, I try not to hold that against anybody. And I'm really just listening to how musical you are and how accurate you are. Because um, not everybody has access to the best stuff. And I don't want to eliminate you because you don't have the best recorder or because you don't have a nice hall to play in. Because if you're working hard and you have the ability, great. Yeah. I'll take you. No, that's that. Yeah. That's great. Um, so I think basically your advice, if I'm hearing it correctly, is just like put your best on on tape and make sure when you submit it that it's your very best. Yeah, that's, that's about it. And then wait and see what happens. Yeah, I mean that's all that's all you can hope for, you know. I feel like, um, you know, as professional musicians, there aren't too many professional musicians that have won every audition that that they've taken. You know, we can't all be Ricardo Morales. Um, but, you know, I've talked to you after some of them and, and you, you've said every time, and it makes me happy to hear is, well, I didn't win and I don't know who won. I don't care who I was up against. I played my best for the day and that's what's important. Right? Well, I didn't talk to you so, after my last audition. Then. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that if, if you are playing your best and you're putting your best foot forward at the time, then that's all you can ask, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, cause, and I think that's a big thing with auditions is like, you kind of just show what you have and the results are, and I know it's cliche, but the results are completely out of your control and having sat, and I'm sure you can attest to this as well, having sat on audition committees, I, I, I mean, it's an, it's a, it's a, it's really the eighth wonder of the world that anybody has ever won a job because <laughs> the, you know, what somebody hears is completely different than what I hear. Um, and so there's just all these different opinions and, and generally you try to come to some consensus, but it's sometimes it's just like the wild, wild west and, and, and you, you know, eventually there's a winner, but nobody really knows how you end up there. It's just kind of like, you yeah. know, it's just, you just kind of come to a consensus, I guess the best you can. Yeah. And for us in particular, um, you know, we are hiring the violin of the concert band, right? We're hiring a section clarinet player most of the time. And um, when you're auditioning for a, a principal clarinet spot, it's different than it is auditioning for a spot for us. And I feel like the way to win a military band audition is to check all the, all the boxes of the things that you can't negotiate. 
if your rhythm is perfect, your notes are perfect. If you play with, with any sort of like dynamic range, um, then it, it is much easier to get hired, uh, than if you're more worried about other things, because not everybody does have the same musical interpretation or expectations. But if, if everybody's just tapping their fingers as, as you play Mendelssohn Scherzo and you don't lose any time and your tonguing is perfect, uh, you know, it's just who's going to argue with it. Um, so I feel like if you can just nail the objective things, right. it goes a long way in military band auditions. And I think, well, this is also for, for regular, for orchestra auditions as well. And, and, you know, we're getting to the audition thing, but uh, my goal, and I always say this whenever I get my audition masterclasses, my goal is to offend as few people as possible with my playing. Right. Yeah, it's, you know, and sometimes it works against me, you know, because sometimes what you can do is, is you get some really amazing, beautiful player. They come in and they play this just gorgeous thing and they get, they get one person on the committee that's just like, wow. And then and then all of a sudden you get an advocate. That's usually not me. You know, I, <laughs> I'm usually trying to please as many people as I can. Yeah. You know, so it, it, you know, sometimes it works for you, sometimes it works against you. But I think if you if you want to consistently progress in auditions, I think that's a big thing uh, that I always recommend is just try to play in a way that nobody's just going to be like, eh, you know, I wouldn't have done yeah. that or that wasn't quite right, you know. So, and I think yeah. you would probably agree with that. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So, so why don't you talk about your experience and and how you sort of ended up there? Yeah, um, it was an interesting thing because I hadn't really ever thought about military music. Um, so I, when people would ask me at Northwestern what I was going to do uh, for the summer or beyond, I just started telling people that I was going to be in the U.S. Army field band. And, you yeah, know, everybody I remember would this, chuckle. Actually. If I can and, tell a brief story, I remember I was like, yeah, so what are your plans after you? You're like, well, you know, I'm going to win the field band audition and get my loans paid off and uh, go from there. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> you do it. <laughs> yeah. And I think, so, you know, everybody chuckled when I said that and then they would follow up with, yeah, but like, what are you really going to do? And then I would reply, no, I'm going to be in the U.S. Army field band. Um, and I think that uh, my experience was, was just, um, I kind of gave up a lot of the stuff that I wanted to do and just decided that when you take auditions, uh, you need to have everything that you possibly can have behind you working for you. And if I took an hour to go do something else, uh, it was an hour that I wasn't in the practice room. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't want to like be a tendonitis factory or, or say that you like can't have a life, but I kind of decided that I wasn't going to have a life for, for that year and just thought like, I'm just going to put all my time here. So I was putting so many hours in that I just couldn't be wrong. Like I was playing the excerpts in just time after time. And it was just like right where it needed to be every time. And Maybe you're you're a player that can just like crush it every time without doing what I did. No, but I like, have to do that. I mean, maybe not so many hours I've confined it, but I I have to get to that. I have to get to that point of consistency where I'm doing it enough that it just becomes automatic. Yeah. So yeah. So no, that's not me. That's that's other people. <laughs> all right. Uh, so anyway, that's that's just where I got mentally. I was just thinking like I'm just living, breathing this audition. And, uh, I think that I kind of filtered out some other auditions. I didn't 
take three or four at a time, like I know a lot of people do. Um, I was just saying like, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. I'm, I'm just going to be there. And I think that it took that mental shift in just saying there really isn't another way to go. Um, that, that when I sat down to play after my tape got accepted, I was just thinking, all right, well, I've already eliminated like 90% of, of my competition. So I really only have to go up against these like six people. Um, the hard part's like mostly done already. And it was just like a huge confidence booster that just like kind of snowballed, you know, just that mentality. Um, so I went in and uh, I made the finals the first time and then they had a no hire for whatever reason. Um, and uh, the next, I think four months until I went back again, uh, I played for everybody that I could. Uh, I played for Dr. Thompson. I played for other studios. I think that uh, the performance practice and criticism class where you basically play for all your peers and they just, you know, a tuba player criticizes the way you play and a violinist gives you their thoughts. Um, I think that that was just a huge part of my audition process was just playing for everybody. So that by the time I got back to the field band audition for the second time, uh, there was like no, no nervousness about it because I had already played it for so many people it didn't matter who I was about to play it for. It was just like, okay, here's another one of these. I'm ready, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that was kind of it. When I went in the second time, it just felt very different than the first time because uh, I just felt like there wasn't a way I wasn't going to win it. I remember talking to, to Laurie Bloom right before I left, and uh, he just said, so you're going to go win it? I was like, Yeah. And he said, yeah, I know you will. And it was just like, that was like the last bit of, of confirmation and just just felt headstrong, you know. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And, and it was cool to watch you kind of go through that process. And, and uh, you know, uh, every time I was at the uh, practice rooms, you were there too. So to, uh, it's, it's definitely, you got to put the work in for sure. Um, uh, and even now, like I, I can't just, you know, some people, and I'm not like this, they can just show up in an audition and just play and just nail it. And I can't do it. I need to go through my process. I need to, to develop this muscle memory consistency. I need to play for a bunch of people, you know, uh, just really get that the, the second nature of, of the excerpts and everything. And, and, and that's, uh, that's how, you know, I try to remain consistent with it. Um, so one other thing I wanted to ask you about, and <laughs> I distinctly remember this. I don't, I don't think you ever played for me individually, but I remember you played some of the audition music in one of our studio classes. Yeah. And I remember thinking it was, and don't take this the wrong way, but it was really weird because you <laughs> played like Stars and Stripes Forever on bass clarinet and it was like the whole part. And I remember you were just sitting there for like five minutes, like playing down the whole entire Stars and Stripes and it's the bass clarinet part. So it's not incredibly interesting. Yeah, right. <laughs> so like, how did you approach that of like, you had this, packet of music that likely you had never you know you might have played some stuff before but a lot of stuff you're just like what is this and like how how do I turn this into like an audition setting yeah well to be honest uh it was almost helpful because everything felt fresh um you know when when you play Mendelssohn Scherzo for the 10,000th time you have a, a lot of baggage there Mm -hmm. Um, and you might have different interpretations, uh, and you might have different people's worth of interpretations or 
you might have a particular audition that you like totally bombed in your mind when you go to play it and that just like sticks with you. Um, but with all of this stuff, it was mostly fresh. So I didn't have any of that baggage. Um, and it just, it felt good to not have anything emotional behind it. Um, but you'd be surprised with our auditions, how much of it is orchestrally based. Um, I don't know the exact percentage, but I would bet that my bass clarinet audition was probably 75, 25 orchestral versus band. Um, and our clarinet auditions are maybe 50, 50. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's nice. That it's said. funny. Your, your music that you have when, uh, when you're starting the whole podcast was actually on the bass clarinet audition. Um, we did an arrangement of that and we had this, uh, one of the sadistic arrangers gave that very part to the bass clarinet as like a little solely section. Uh, so it's all like way above the staff. And I don't know if they just did it as a joke just to see if you could like crush high F's and G's and stuff, but, uh, it was, it was on my audition. Oh, that's funny. Um, So that, I, I like that comment about how I kept things fresh, and that's part of the reason why I actually like. I've only taken one opera audition in my life, but I loved it because it was all new stuff. Yeah. It was all stuff I didn't know, and I felt like everyone was just on a level playing field, and you just had this open palette of like, oh, cool, I get to listen to something that I've never listened to before. I get to play something I've never played, and it just it's really fresh. So that's that's an, that was an interesting comment. Um, so can you describe briefly how the contracts and like the enlistment works? Cause I know it's not like, it's not like a orchestra where it's like year after year after year, you kind of renew or whatever. There's like chunks, uh, that you have to do. Yeah. So the initial enlistment for the army now is four years. Uh, you sign a contract saying you will do that and, um, you aren't able to get out unless, uh, you get pregnant or, Uh, There are a couple other things that will get you out of the contract, but um, you sign up for four years. And then re-enlistments are in two to six-year chunks currently. Um, uh, It depends on what's going on. It it changes. I feel like it changes constantly. Uh, I never know exactly what I'll I'll be doing next or what I'll be allowed to do next for a contract. Um, But typically, it's it's between a two to six-year contract. And then once you pass the 12-year mark, uh, there's something called indefinite status, where you don't do contracts anymore. You're basically just saying, yeah, I plan to do at least 20. I'm going to I'm gonna do a career in the military. Um, and you just, uh, you are still active, but there's not a particular, um, so we call it an ETS. Uh, it's the date that you separate from the army and your ETS becomes whatever your RCP is. And your RCP is a retention control point. And so the army basically says, if you are an E6, if you're a staff sergeant and you've been in 20 years and you haven't been promoted to E7, uh, you're done at the end of uh, year 20. And as an E7, mine is 24 years um, and there's one associated with each rank. So um, once I enter indefinite status, I basically am in until 24 or I decide to leave uh, anytime. Gotcha. Okay, that's cool. That's 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 really interesting. Um, so when you, I thought that, man, there was one more question I wanted to ask about that. And I, oh, yeah, I remember. Uh, so you, I remember when you were considering uh, re-enlisting and everything and your, you know, your contracts were coming up, you said something really interesting to me, which was they make it really hard to leave. 
<laughs> because uh, it's my understanding that like the longer you stay, the more beneficial it is in terms of pay and benefits, and then st- and there's like there's like signing bonuses and stuff, and I don't know how much you can talk about if this is even worth talking about, but um, but I think that you know it, it it is a career that that really encourages you to the longevity of it is encouraged. Yeah, um, yeah, of course, of course, I can talk about it. So the. I mean, you mentioned signing bonuses. Um, signing bonuses, just like any job, kind of come and go based on the need. Um, I, I honestly can't speak to what the Army needs now, um, but there was a period of time where they really needed IT people. So if you were enlisting for IT, you would get a certain amount of signing bonus. Um, and that also came with reenlistments as well um, for some people. Uh, I don't believe that there are any kind of reenlistment bonuses for musicians at this point but bass clarinets uh, really uh <laughs> no. there were though uh, <laughs> yeah, there right. were in the past to be honest um and i think that it was basically just when we were trying to grow the entire force you yeah, know sure. they existed for a lot of the jobs um anyway but I, the reason i said it's they make it hard to le- leave is uh, it's, it's probably tenfold like i could name so we've got pension Right. If you stay 20 years, you qualify for some sort of pension. And the longer you stay, the better it gets. So, you know, 40 years ago, pensions were not uncommon. And nowadays they really are. So um, a a dedicated amount of money for the rest of your life uh, after you leave um, is amazing. It's a gold mine. So you've got a pension. Uh, you've got health care for life if you stay for 20 years for you and your spouse. Um, and it includes your dependents up to uh, 26, maybe. Um, don't quote me on that. Not positive. 26 dependents? Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> up until your dependent is 26 oh, okay. years old. <laughs> no, um, um, there, there's the job security. I mean, um, you know, I, I, I don't mean to tread on a sensitive topic for for you right now, uh, especially, but, um, I am very thankful to have the job that I do because we are still making music right now. Um, we're still doing a lot of educational outreach and we still have a paycheck as musicians. Um, so job security, pension, healthcare, uh, there's the public service aspect of it, which is great. You know, we get a lot of people who apply, um, for us who aren't looking for orchestral jobs because it's, it's not the same public service. Um, the GI Bill, uh, when when I passed the six-year mark, when I was in for six years, uh, I got the, the GI Bill. Um, and if I signed on for a contract that would take me past 10, uh, then I could transfer that GI Bill. So I have a, an undergrad and I have a master's degree. Um, but when I hit six years, I signed a four-year contract, four contract that took me over 10. So now I'm able to transfer that to a dependent. So if my wife wants another degree or uh, my daughter wants a four-year degree, it's paid for. So amazing. that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and so that's 10 years. You know, the, the pension and everything, healthcare for life is 20 years. But just, just four years of, of state school college at 10 years is amazing. So that's hard to leave. Um, you mentioned earlier that I said, you know, the army would repay my loans if I won the gig. Um, and that was a thing that, and it kind of comes and goes. I don't think that we offer it currently. Um, but it used to be $65,000 of loan repayment. Um, so if you stay for your initial contract, then you get that. So I feel like the benefits 
um, are just really hard to argue with. Yeah, and uh, forgive me if I'm stepping on, if I'm giving any incorrect information, but it's my understanding that uh, a lot of the military salaries is built into like all these different um, like uh, stipends. And I don't yes. know if it's true for you, but I know I know for the Marine guys, it's definitely true, where it's like there's a food stipend and a housing stipend. And so your taxes are actually less because there's yeah. not a lot of it that's actual salary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, you nailed it. Uh, okay. There's three parts. There's base pay, there's the food, and there's the housing. Um, so the base pay is the only thing that you are taxed on. Um, the food and the housing, uh, the food is the same for everybody. Uh, regardless of, of zip code, but the housing is zip code dependent. So if you are uh, in a sergeant first class who lives in Dallas, or you're a sergeant first class who lives in the middle of nowhere, Texas, um, or excuse me, is stationed in the middle of nowhere, Texas, uh, the person in Dallas will make more because the cost of living is higher. Um, so DC is actually a very high cost of living. So um, my salary comparatively to a lot of other people in the army is is higher, but my base pay is the same. Mm -hmm. And like you said, the base pay is the only thing that you're taxed upon. Um, I would estimate, I'm, I'm not totally sure what it is, but I would guess it's probably about 60% of the salary is what I'm actually taxed on. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's it, for those who haven't uh, garnered yet, if you're interested in a musical career, the military band is a fantastic career. I mean, you, you, I mean they just... Job security, you know, everything you said, you know, lots of great benefits and everything. It's just, it's really fantastic. So thanks for, thanks for walking us through that. It's really helpful. Um, yeah. So you, you mentioned that you had to go to basic training, uh, 10, 10 weeks, is it? Is that how long it is? 10 weeks. 10 weeks. Um, you're obviously a very fit guy. Uh, you always have been. And so do you have any like tips for basic training, like stuff that kind of helped you get through it? Become a very fit guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, basic training is is so uh, different for everyone um, because uh, the walk of life that you are currently in uh, dictates how you feel about basic training a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I was one of the oldest people in my basic training group, and I was 24. Um, so you've got a lot of people that are going in, uh, out of high school and you don't have as many that have kind of already been out living by themselves. Um, now obviously it could totally change, uh, based on what, what group just happens to be going in at that time that you're lumped in with. But, um, for me, it was a little bit of a, a shock because I hadn't been around teenagers a lot. Um, so it was, uh, it was just like a very different living environment. So I would just say, um, mentally prepare yourself to be living in a room with potentially 59 other people. Um, you know, it's not your like college, college dorm setting where you have your own room or a suite with, with a couple other dudes or whatever you did. Um, it's, it's just really different. Just mentally prepare yourself to live in a different world for 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, it, and uh, remind yourself that it's only temporary um, because their whole job is to break you down, right? They want to like totally break you down and then rebuild you as this unified group um, with one mentality, a team mentality. And if you aren't ready for that and you just feel like 
well, I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing. Why am I still doing these copious amounts of push-ups? Um, you know, that's that's not the point. You need to like remove yourself from it and put yourself in the like team mentality. And if you can get that, so that you're always just trying to make everybody else better, then um, I think that's probably the best best thing you can do aside from just getting in shape because if you're in really good shape going in everything else is easier yeah no that's what i figured and i feel like for someone like you it's probably easy because you were able to make that switch really quickly but for someone who's like studying at you know studying clarinet at northwestern and then all of a sudden they're thrown in a basic training for your typical person they would be a little bit of a whoa where am i now because because all of a sudden you're not a musician right you are a right so you're, you're a recruit that's it. Uh, and, You're a soldier. Yeah. And so, well, cool. Um, I've always wondered what it would be like. I don't know if I would ever want to do it, <laughs> but you know, that's why we have people like you, right? Well, I tell you what, man, if you want to come stay with me for about 10 weeks when COVID's all over, uh, I'll put you through it. <laughs> okay. I think I might be able to do it, but I'd, I'd be hanging on probably. I'm sure you could. Um, I gotta, do I gotta hit the CrossFit gym a little bit more than I have recently. <laughs> the, the thing is, Sam, is that anybody can do it. Yep. Anybody can do it. It might be harder for other people, but but anybody can do it. Um, they really do break you down and make sure that everybody lifts you up. And everybody else, all the other soldiers in your platoon will get you through it. Um, so I don't think that – I think it's it's understandable to be afraid of it, especially because it's easy to be afraid of things you don't know or understand. But uh, we tell everybody that wins our audition – you know, we'll see you on the other side. Don't worry about it. It yeah. might be tough, but you'll get through it. For sure. Um, so what kinds of performances do you do as part of your work with the field band? And uh, the main thing, obviously, when, when the situation is normal is the concert band. And I was privileged to go to one of your performances uh, whenever that was. It was a while ago, right? Seven, eight years ago, something like that? Yeah, at least. Um, so the concert band. And then I know you also have a clarinet quartet that you play with. So can you just talk about, you know, the various things that you do? Yeah, so the, the field band, um, we do a little bit of everything, to be honest. Um, I mean, especially now, you know, during COVID, um, the concert band isn't isn't playing anything because it's too big of a group to have in a room together, um, shy of, of maybe playing at the inaugural, but I, uh, we don't know if we'll be doing that or not mm -hmm. this year uh, either. So the concert band is my touring ensemble, but we also have the Jazz Ambassadors, which is uh, America's big band. We have uh, the Soldiers Chorus, which is um, a, a smaller chorus. Uh, it's, uh, the numbers fluctuate all the time, but it's mid-20s or so. Um, and then we have something called the Six String Soldiers, which is uh, a folk group. Um, so we all kind of do very different things, but me personally... Uh, Outside of the concert band, um, I've got a woodwind sextet now uh, that does educational engagements. We do um, master classes. We do clinics and just perform recitals. Um, uh, we will lead the inaugural parade when circumstances uh, are regular. Are you going to lead it with Yanacek's Melody? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll see if the commander will go for that. I'll, I'll send it up my chain. Da, 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 da. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the sex step might lead with that, but yeah. um, we do a lot of teaching. Uh, this summer was a lot of virtual band camp uh, things where we would take, um, you know, 
a band camp that just needed some sort of outside clinician. Um, right now we're doing a ton of live stream broadcasts of various chamber music or, or themed concerts. Um, we're doing, we have like a whole library of educational resources. Uh, so you can see what our flute players have to say about articulation and, um, musical approach to the flute and there's one for every instrument uh really if you can dream it up we do it mm-hmm. uh i've done retirement ceremonies for people um it's really funerals i mean a- anything you can imagine cool and uh the main thing you guys do uh if i'm not mistaken is touring True. is that correct so you can talk about just briefly what your touring schedule is on and this is of course normal circumstances like what is your what does your calendar year look like in terms of the tours? So, yeah, in a typical year, uh, we do a big tour in the spring, big tour in the fall, and a small to medium-ish tour in the summer. Um, so what does big mean? Um, I think my longest tour that I've ever been on is maybe 43 days, um, but a long tour could also be 25 days. So it's, it's typically a month or so. Um, and then summers uh, vary greatly depending on what the the spots are um july 4th is is a big one for us so if we happen to have uh something big 10 days before july 4th wherever we're going to be playing july 4th it might be a a 10-day tour to include both sides of it um we've done like uh, you know the international trombone association conference uh in like late july so we do like a 10-day spot at the beginning of july have two weeks of rehearsal and then go back out for like another six days. It's just, uh, summer is always kind of a roll of the dice. Um, but that's like our, our typical touring schedule, but then you have to factor in all the other random stuff that happens like the ceremonies or when Midwest clinic happens, uh, or the international clarinet association, you know, if we're the band that backs the soloist. Um, so it's, uh, that's our, our general year. But as far as a tour breakdown, um, if we're gone for 30 days, we get a day off every 10 concerts or so. Um, and we factor in educational outreach as well. So, uh, let's say we get to Pittsburgh on a Tuesday, we play a concert that night. Uh, the next morning I will go to my old university, Duquesne, and I'll play a recital there, give a master class, um, and then maybe have the rest of the day off. And then the next day we'll drive to another town and we'll probably do that three to six times on a tour. Or sometimes I'll do a clinic in the morning and then a concert band concert at night. So, um, they pack our tours pretty well. Um, and now it is, uh, more outreach than it used to be. So it might be, you know, 30 concerts and seven outreach days and three days off or something um, in, in a tour. Yeah, very cool. And I think the best part about touring is I get to see you usually every year because, uh, well, I maybe it's every other year. It's pretty, very fairly frequently we, you, you you drop by the Midwest, so it's it's nice that you get to come through and see people and uh, yeah. teach and stuff. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's, you know, when uh, I feel like when, when I was giving you the list of benefits, uh, that is one thing that I overlooked, um, but it really is one of the best parts of this job. Um, my 
parents uh, and in-laws live in Pittsburgh, and it's on the way west, right? We're based in D.C., so anytime we're heading west, I feel like we stop in Pittsburgh. So I see them way more frequently than I would, uh, and yourself, and I've got friends on the west coast and family in North Carolina or whatever that, um, yeah, face-to-face -face interaction with the people that I care about is way higher than if I were would have not been in this band. Yeah, super cool. Um, so I'll, I'll leave you with this, and you can feel free to answer however you'd like. Um, what do you? What would you say is your your biggest pro of the career in in the field band, and what do you think has been the biggest uh, the biggest con for you? Um. So uh, this is this question is super personal um, because your perspective on travel really just changes how, how you look at this band, right? Um, so you're asking me personally, um, I think that, uh, I mean, everything that I mentioned before, all of the benefits are, are the biggest pro under the umbrella that I'm still getting to be a musician while I do it, right? Um, that's just, to me, uh, so silly that I, that I ended up with one of the, like, six bass clarinet jobs in the country that allow me to do that. Um, it's, it's just awesome. I mean, the benefits list is just so long and, uh, without rehashing all that stuff, uh, the fun answer I think that I'll give you is I get to eat everything where I'm supposed to eat it. You get to um, eat it. Can you explain that? <laughs> uh, so I have literally been everywhere in this country. Oh, I see. And I get it. Yeah. so I can, I've had barbecue in Memphis and in Austin and in Arkansas, and I've had uh, insert any other food you could want. Well, here's a real question. It, right? What's the best barbecue then? Oh, it's all in Arkansas. Really? Whatever people tell you about Texas and Tennessee, it's great barbecue there, right? And Kansas City, but uh, Arkansas, I think, has, has the best, best barbecue because it's not as, as hyped, uh, you know, you and I have shared some barbecue in Kansas City um, that it's awesome. I, but it's like the price tag goes with it. Mm -hmm. But when you're in Arkansas and you walk into the like barn converted barbecue joint. Yeah, they go and, out the back and kill a feral pig and put it right on the spit. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's great. It's like so hometown and not overpriced. It's all the best. There's this place, Demos in Jonesboro. Really just Fantastic. great. Nice. Good stuff. Um, so anyway, I, I just feel like, um, there are so many benefits, but, but the food thing has been really interesting, like, you know, jambalaya in Louisiana or something. Oh, yeah, it's just, sure. you know, it's great. Um, but as far as, um, the, the biggest con, um, uh, it's for me personally, it's, it's probably just being away from family. Um, you know, I, I, have to pinch myself a little bit while I say that because I'm privileged to only be away for a month at a time. And there are plenty of soldiers that are overseas that go for many months at a time or a year. Um, so it feels like uh, almost silly of me to say that. Um, but any amount of time away from the people that you love is, is feels like a lot. Um, so I've got a, a two-year-old and so to be away from her, uh, you know, when she was only a year and I was gone for 10 days or something for uh, one of the summer tours, um, it just felt like I came back and she was a, 
a different kid uh, mm. already, and you see people in our unit who you know might miss their first steps or, or something like that. Um, so that's always hard. But uh, honestly, like the job is great. So um, anything that I could really complain about is pretty. Uh, it's pretty minimal. Um, I guess the the other thing I would add to it is just like missing strings. You know, I, I play in yeah. a concert band, so like. I, I can't just like go play the Brahms quintet uh, with my coworkers because I'd have to arrange it. Um, so uh, <laughs> I don't know if you want to do that. <laughs> I mean, it's it definitely gives you an appreciation for certain things, and also it like uh, I have my arranging chops and composition chops have like just skyrocketed from being in this group because, um, especially because of the sextet just like taking a transcription or an orchestral work and shrinking it down for six people or, you know, whatever the group is that you want to play with. Um, it, it makes you better because you have to figure things out. So, yeah, it's good. Very cool. Uh, so if you, if anyone is interested in a career with the army field band, just make sure to pay attention to the, uh, crappy bulletin board outside of Steve Cohen's office and look for the, you know, flyers <laughs> or no, but in all seriousness, they advertise in the international musician and, um, very, you know, probably it's probably all over the place. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we have really tried to increase our advertising so that we can get to everybody and, and make sure that our, our name is out there. Yeah. Cool. So Kevin, before we leave, uh, do you have any last words, shout outs, pieces of advice or words of wisdom for our listeners? Give us the wisdom man. give it to us. <laughs> give us the wisdom. Oh man. Um, I think that um, I just feel super fortunate to have had the opportunities that I've that I've had in this band. Um, and if you are somebody who is unfamiliar with military music and you're looking for a job in music, uh, take a take a bit of time on the internet and just Google all the different bands and YouTube some performances and see what they're all about. Um, and I think that you will be pleasantly surprised with what you find exists out there. Um, and, you know, the especially in a time like this where performance is so, so limited, um, you would do yourself a disservice if you put your blinders on to one particular job, uh, whether it's orchestral or whether it's Broadway or whatever the case may be. Um, and I think that uh, it's just a, a great career path. So really take the time to look into it if, if you're curious because it's really worthwhile. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Kevin. Uh, and thanks for joining me tonight. I really appreciate your time and uh, for sharing all this awesome inspiration information with everybody. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Sam. Yeah, you're welcome. So for our new listeners out there, please help us get to 500 followers on Instagram by December 31st. You can follow us on Instagram at The Canon Clarinetist. For links to all of our social media and content platforms, as well as information about myself and the podcast, visit CandidClarinetistPodcast.com. Once again, I am Sam Rothstein, and thanks for tuning in to The Candid Clarinetist Podcast.